When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Weekend 13 is over. Means one more week remaining in the regular season. Kyle Shasperger and David Kahn with you. Another edition of College Sports Now. And another shakeup in the top 25, specifically amongst the top five as LSU takes another tumble. We'll dive into that. Three up and three down. Some dudes, some hat tips, midweek lineup card, games being canceled. As we speak, as Auburn has just axed their midweek game, so uh, we'll try to make sense of all of that. Again, Kyle Schasberger and David Kahn with you. Uh, Plenty on the line this week as teams are trying to jockey forward position in not just the RPI rankings, but the conference races seeding up for grads with conference tournaments right around the corner. And David Kahn, my good sir, one week from tonight we'll be enjoying a frosty cold beverage at Brock's Gap Brewing with the boys from D1 Baseball. Yes, I'm so excited. I mean, it, it's been something that you and I have been looking forward to since that event was announced. Obviously, we were already looking forward to going to Hoover, uh, but the fact that we get to go spend an evening with the lovely Joe Healy and the equally as pleasurable uh, Mark Etheridge and listen to them do their Highway to Hoover podcast live uh, is going to be it's a, it's going to be a fun event. Uh, certainly encourage anybody who's going to be in Hoover, Alabama, for the tournament to come on out. It's only fifteen dollars for a ticket, and the proceeds go to a good cause. So. Uh, we look forward to meeting anyone there that wants to meet us as well, but I'm sure Joe and Mark will be the uh, main attraction of the night. Yeah, no question. Uh, as for the top 25, just quickly, Wake Forest stays at number one. They got walked off on in the series finale against Florida State over the weekend. Did win the first two games in Tallahassee, 42-8, and 3-1 and one on the week. Arkansas, your new number two, Stanford. At number three, Florida, after a sweep of Vanderbilt at home, they check in at number four. And LSU, after winning game one over Mississippi State, they drop back-to-back contests against lowly Mississippi State at home at Alex Box Stadium. 
Later, number five team nationally, Mississippi State, not dead yet in the SEC tournament. Uh, as of right now, still a lot of work to do. They'll need some help. They'll need to take care of business this weekend. Uh, same for Missouri, who is most likely to take that final spot. Ole Miss has been eliminated from the postseason picture. They will not be in Hoover, which means, Con, back-to-back seasons now that the reigning national champion hailing from the SEC will not be in Hoover for the SEC tournament. Mississippi State last year, Ole Miss this season, just to finish up top 10. West Virginia moves up to six. Clemson jumps nine spots to seven. Coastal at eight. UConn at nine. Their hosting situation might have taken a hit, though, after a game three loss to Butler over the weekend. And then Oregon State also making a leap up to number 10. Major shakeup, uh, shakeup for me personally as well. The mustache is gone for you. You're coming off a beer fest weekend. How much college <laughs> baseball were you able to consume while you were in Miami, brother? By the way, the Canes, number 11, after a three-in-one week. Yeah, did not get a Mark Light shake uh, while I was in Miami. That was the only downside of, of a very fun weekend in Miami. Did experience baseball, though, of the professional ranks. Uh, checked out Marlins Park, Lone Depot Park, MLB Ballpark number 10, on my quest for all the major league ballparks across the country. And I'll be checking off number 11 in July when I go to Wrigley, which I know is your favorite. Um, So exciting, exciting times there. Uh, I kept an eye on college baseball purely just on my phone through Twitter. That's honestly how I intake most of college baseball. I did flip on a little bit of Alabama and A&M yesterday because that game was supposed to be a one o'clock Eastern start and got pushed back to 8 p.m. Eastern, I believe. Funny enough, they actually, I heard this on the Highway to Hoover podcast, I believe, that they told A&M they weren't going to play, and A&M left. And then they were like, wait a minute, never mind, we can play, come on back. And and A&M came back and they played the game. Um, So that was funny. I did catch a little bit of that, but not much. Uh, But Twitter, luckily, is such a breeding ground for college baseball with everybody tweeting about things. The boys at D1 Baseball, of course, but just school Twitter accounts. And uh, I, I got my fair share of news. Um, and it was, uh, it was a fun weekend all around. Good to hear. Do you have a frosty cold beverage here as we bring, uh, we bring the listeners 40, 45 minutes of baseball chatter here, the first of two podcasts, and you and I are both recording uh, from home, separate locations. Uh, we'll get together, of course, live on Thursday, 11 o'clock Eastern on the Varsity Channel on YouTube. But because it's a late night Monday taping, I will tell you I've got a protein shake, no alcoholic beverage as, uh, again, press for time to the gym, to the shower, to the pod gains <laughs> dude i just finished my protein shake post my workout so uh that was gonna be my beverage of choice but i actually ended up drinking it a little bit quicker than i thought i would so my protein shake is gone i am just getting some uh much needed h2o and uh, replenishing my body for what is going to be a long day tomorrow and it's going to be a long week we got a lot of prep to do to get ready for hoover for hoover yes uh i kind of outlined what was going on in the SEC. Let's let's go ahead and get to some of the content, the nitty-gritty details of Weekend 13. What stood out to you the most? Uh, you know, LSU losing a second straight series, I think, has to be the leading item, but also, two, wait, wait, what Wake Forest was able to do, and being rewarded now, uh, getting their first ACC regular season title since 1963, and now the number one team for the second week in a row, the Demon Deacons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hat tips to Wake Forest all the way around. But I think if you go back to the SEC, Shaz, the thing that stood out to me the most, probably the most surprising, of course, is LSU losing two of three 
in Baton Rouge to Mississippi State. Like you said, Mississippi State on the outside looking in to get into Hoover. You think that for the Bulldogs, it's a, a long road ahead if they're going to be able to get that last spot in, especially with Missouri getting hot and sweeping Georgia over the weekend. But I think actually the more surprising result is Florida sweeping Vanderbilt in the way that they did. Now, yes, Vanderbilt did not have Hunter Owen. They didn't have Carter Holton. But the offense was horrible against Florida, and that's including when Hurston Waldrop only goes an inning in Game 2 because of a rain delay, so he got washed out of the game, and Florida had to have a bullpen game in Game 2. But Jack Caglione was phenomenal in the Game 3 win on Sunday. He struck out 9 over 6 and 2 thirds, just one hit, one run allowed. Florida outscored Vanderbilt 22-4 to in the three-game series, while the pitching staff held Vanderbilt's offense to a 0.72 ERA with 27 strikeouts of the Vanderbilt Commodores. So yeah, they were without their top two pitchers. Of course, that's going to damage you in, in any way, shape, or form that you look at it. But Vanderbilt didn't hit the ball. So whether that's more of a, a notion on how good Florida's pitching staff is, which we've talked about how lethal Sprout, Waldrop, Caglione can be, or is it troublesome because Vanderbilt's offense was basically muted the entire weekend? Jack Caglione threw strikes. That was the difference. Yeah. I mean, Cags went out there, 71 of his 103 pitches were strikes. That was easily his best outing of the year, turning in those six and two-thirds innings. As you mentioned, nine Ks, walked just one, allowed the one walk, and one hits batsman. He was under control. He continued to rake at the plate. He's sitting at 27 home runs. He's still got a chance of chasing down Ivan Melendez, the record of 32, which was set last year for the Texas slugger. But Caglione, we we know that he can hit the baseball. He's been mashing since he was inserted as a designated hitter last year, recovering from Tommy John. We've documented it time and time again. But the fact that he's returned to this role and he has struggled the way that he has on Sunday, you know, much like so many teams around the country, Kyle, we've talked about this ad nauseum. You know, how many teams out there, if any, have two reliable starters, you know, that you know what you're getting out of each and every weekend. And for Florida... That are healthy. I mean... That are healthy, yes. I mean, the injuries are are, are plentiful all around, not just in the SEC. And we talked about that, too, a week ago. But with Jack, he gives Florida not only... if If he can find the strike zone, like he did this past weekend, against an opponent of the likes of Vanderbilt, I mean, Florida might be as scary... And as stacked on the hill as a team like Wake Forest, those might be the two best positioned teams to actually make a run if they're going to have three quality guys. And we know Wake, with the best ERA by a long shot nationally, with their three guys in Sullivan, in Hartle, and of course, Rhett Lauder. But my goodness, Con, I mean, Florida, if Cags can pitch the way that he did on Sunday, if he can replicate that, you know, even get five innings and, and keep his walks to a minimum, you know, inside of four. I mean, Florida might be the scariest team. And Aaron Fitt went as far to say uh, with his write-up, he was down there to see the Gators sweep the Commodores this past weekend. He said that Jack Caglione might be the best two-way player he's ever seen. He also is just drooling over what Wyatt Langford continues to do. Another one of my favorite guys from last year's run for Florida in the title game before falling to Tennessee in Hoover. Uh, Langford is hitting 400. He's got 14 bombs, 18 doubles, 37 ribbies. He's not even having to lead off. I mean, look look at what the freshman, Cade Curlin, right? What, what he has been able to do is a tone setter. I mean, Florida up and down the lineup um, 
I mean, it is so impressive what Kevin O'Sullivan has been able to do with this squad. And I know they had one bad, you know, weekend here recently, but uh, for the most part, I mean, the Gators are, are rounding into the most consistent team and maybe one of the more, you know, forcible uh, teams that can really, really make a run here. Yeah, they certainly are. And you talk about how teams have one bad weekend. Well, look at Arkansas, right? They get swept at Foley Field in Athens, Georgia, and everyone goes, uh-oh, have the Hogs finally, you know, reached their tipping point in the season? Well, uh, no, because they went and took care of number six South Carolina this past weekend and did it in dominant fashion. So the Hogs are just fine. The Gators are just fine. And this is shaping up, Shaz, if LSU can't figure out their bullpen problems, which is where I think we should go next, that... Uh, this is going to be a really, really exciting SEC baseball tournament, not one where we maybe see LSU run the table really quickly and just neat and tidy, you know, wrap this up and take the SEC baseball championship like we saw Tennessee do last year. Yeah, let's talk about LSU. They are the leading item of, of three up and three down on the downside, of course, after dropping a second consecutive series. Um, LSU got what LSU gets every single Friday night. A quality start, a dominating start out of Paul Skeens, who improved to 10-1 on the season. Con, you had his numbers, right? Seven innings and 13 strikeouts. He struck out 10 of the first 12 batters he saw. (laughs) 10 out of the first 12 he had struck out. He's a stud. I mean, my goodness. Seven innings, three hits, one earned run, 13 Ks. Ended up being a walk-off mercy rule win uh, after a Tommy Wright two-run blast uh, to left field. Uh, Tommy continuing to do his thing. This was a slow-going series for Dylan Cruz, who really struggled through the first couple of games, was able to you know, get it on the fun offensively on Sunday, where LSU led 13-4 to on Mississippi State in the rubber game, and then proceeded to give up nine runs against the seventh and in the seventh and eighth inning. This bullpen con, absolute atrocious. I mean, a major atrocity, this LSU Tigers bullpen for the second consecutive weekend. And there's been red flags, you know, throughout a lot of the year, but they've been able to cover up these wounds and these eyesores of what the bullpen is. And and it's only gotten worse because of the injuries. But they've been able to cover it up with, you know, Skeen's dazzling star in game one, which, you know, LSU winning game one of a series is is as automatic as it comes. But their offense and their defense, more than anything, I continue to be impressed with what Trey Morgan can do, not just at first base, but in left field. I think he's the best defensive player in the country, hands down, because of how versatile he is. And he had a great offensive weekend. But, God, none of this matters if you don't know what you have behind Paul Skeen's. I'm not even talking about from from a starter standpoint. Like, Ty Floyd actually was serviceable, but after him, beyond him in Game 2, nothing. Absolute trash. Nobody can get it out, and you saw it again on Sunday. This team, here's my bold statement. Where this team stands right now, Con, this bullpen, after losing 14-13 to in 10 innings and blowing a 13-4 to lead on Sunday, that was the exclamation point, the panic button being pressed and, and stomp through the floor that this team, yeah, they they will win a regional. They will get to a super, but they are not the lock that we previously thought in getting to the College World Series. At this point in the season, I don't think they get to Omaha with the bullpen that they have right now. Well, no, you, you can't say that they do. But here's the thing about teams that lose in series they're not supposed to lose. It's a litmus test for them, right? And, and you kind of look at it as, okay – This is either a turning point in our season where we flip the switch and go back into attack and dominance mode and take care of business the rest of the way, or it derails your season entirely. The thing about it is we're not going to know 
really how that affects LSU until we get to Hoover because they do have one weekend left in the regular season, but Jay Johnson and company are already thinking about how to manage their pitching staff for Hoover, and LSU's already locked into a top-eight national seed. I mean, unless they get swept this weekend, which I don't think they will, um, you know, they're going to be a top-eight seed. So, yeah, they're, they're going to be in position to host a Super no matter what, uh, assuming they win their regional. So I don't know that this weekend will tell us too much about the Tigers and, and how they're looking going into Hoover, but how they perform at the SEC Baseball Tournament will certainly give us a drastically better outlook at their postseason implications. Here's some numbers that I want to give you because they're just so eye-popping for LSU. So the Tigers pitching outside of games that Paul Skeens pitched in against Auburn and Mississippi State, so four games over the last two weekends that Paul Skeens was not in, they've allowed 43 runs, 28 walks, and 12 wild pitches in those four losses. And you mentioned Ty Floyd pitching very well Saturday. He did. Six innings, one earned run, 10 strikeouts. Well, the bullpen after him, eight earned runs in three innings. LSU led 4-1 going to the top of the seventh, lost 9-4. to You go, okay, well, Mississippi State's offense just was better than LSU's that day. Well, let's flip the script to Sunday, where, as you said, LSU is up 13-4 to going into the top of the sixth, and the bullpen allows nine earned runs, and LSU, lose, LSU loses 14-13 in 10 innings. And here's the bigger problem, is LSU doesn't have another stopper in a game where they had to go total Johnny Holstaff. Griffin Herring and Riley Cooper were the only two guys that were somewhat serviceable going four innings, one earned run, seven strikeouts allowed. The rest of the bullpen shafts in that Sunday dumpster fire of a game, three and a third, 12 earned runs, and five walks. You can't rely on just two other dudes out of your bullpen to carry you and just hope that Paul Skeens can go a complete game every time he goes out, especially in Hoover, because the nature of the beast is you have to play five games sometimes to go win it all in Hoover, and Paul Skeens throws one complete game. He's done for the week, so in, until the championship on Sunday, at least. And and that's saying you start him in the first game, which Jay Johnson may not do. So you know, the bigger problem is LSU doesn't have somebody to rely on outside of maybe Griffin Herring or Riley Cooper because all these other guys keep getting blasted and you you just look around and go, who's going to take the ball outside of Skeens and Floyd? And you can't expect Skeens to go a complete game because it's going to wear out his arm. And in the postseason, you know you're going to need him to be as fresh as possible if this team is going to get to Omaha and win it all at the College World Series because Skeens will have to start multiple times. Yeah, and the two transfers, Christian Little and Thatcher Hurd, you know, they continue to be uh, an enigma mostly bad, you know, that then good. Yeah, I mentioned, I think, last week that Hurt, maybe they had found a role for Hurt. He had had a couple of saves, you know, in, in consecutive outings. But, you know, he was unpredictable again this past weekend. I mean, Christian Little in that Sunday game, a third of an inning, three hits, four runs, all earned. Uh, he had walked one hitter. And, yeah, I mean, the bullpen, so how many guys? Three, six, they used nine guys, uh, nine pitchers in total. Uh, Javin Coleman who is still recovering from um well he made his he made his debut after missing 14 months because he had Tommy John last February. I mean, he's a guy that is still trying to, you know, get into a routine and 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 you know, increase his his workload every time out. He's not going to give you any sort of length, but uh he has been actually a shining light, a shining star for this team in his return. Uh Again, the leash is is there with him, but two and two-thirds, he gave up one run. It was earned, struck out five, walked three. But, you know, is that the answer Do you, as you continue uh, to give him some length? I don't think so, but it's good that, that he's there and able to provide some good innings. You're going to need to give him the ball in, in Hoover for sure. And my goodness, I mean, this team... 
It, it's as you look at the SEC in in totality, Con. You know where were we a month ago? Where were we back in in March? Heck, when I went down to Baton Rouge and and called the top five series with with Arkansas <laughs> and LSU. You know the Hogs won in ten innings, an exciting game one, but then you know really gave it away. Couldn't couldn't hit with two outs. You know too many strikeouts, and and LSU just offensively was just overwhelmed the Arkansas pitching staff that was still trying to piece it together and dealing with some of the injuries within their bullpen. Their lineup was healthy, but now fast forward, you've had an Arkansas team over the last two months, and this is why I think Dave Van Horn should be coach of the year. They've been able to just paste together a a lineup with Elmer's glue, uh, it seems like, as they deal with all of the injuries. Dave Van Horn continues to punch all the right buttons. he got Tavian Josenberger back over the weekend. Peyton Stovall has been out. Jared Wagner is still out. Will he return this weekend? Will he be saved for Hoover? But everybody that has stepped in has answered the bell offensively, and Arkansas has been able to find some consistency on the mound with the gate with the guys available as they work back, you know, a Brady Tiger, for example. Uh, and still Dylan Carter went out. He's done for the year with Tommy John. But like a team like Arkansas, where they were, you know, still with, with the hopes of being a team primed for Omaha two months ago, they've done it in just a multitude of different ways to now be all the way up there as the number two ranked team nationally because they continue to find ways to win. Whereas LSU, who looked dominant at times against against Arkansas, dominant most most of the season, these last two weeks, they have hit such a skid that was previously unfathomable, uh, and the pitching staff just continues to disappoint. And two teams, you know, much like the rest of the league, as I was saying, Con, you know, look at Vanderbilt, how strong they were, owning the best record in the league uh, for so long, and then to get swept on the road. You know, their top eight chances are in peril now, heading into the final week of the regular season. Kentucky was able to establish one this past week, and um. All of these teams, like South Carolina, another one, right? A, a team that was able to win one this past weekend against Arkansas. But again, the Hawks proved superior. I mean, it's been such an entertaining soap opera uh, within the SEC. Of course, around all of college baseball, within the SEC uh, especially. Uh, and we still have so much to decide here over the final week of the regular season. Yeah, we do. And here's the thing with LSU, right? It's obvious now that with all the injuries they've suffered, especially in their bullpen, that the offense outside of Paul Skeens being on the mound, will need to carry them to victories. And here's where we have the issue. Because Auburn and Mississippi State, for most of the season, have been the two worst ERAs in the SEC. And LSU's offense couldn't carry them to victories over either of them. So there, therein lies the issue, is that the offense was able to be stymied by two pitching staffs that have, for, mo- for the most part, been bad. Now, Auburn's ERA has dropped significantly since they've altered their starting rotation, notably adding Tommy Vale, but also putting in uh, Christian Herberholtz. And, and those two have really, really stemmed the tide for the Tigers in the starting rotation. But LSU was into their bullpen. And the fact that the Tigers, which have one of the best offenses in all of the country, could not continue to answer and respond to these rallies that these teams put up, let alone Mississippi State doing it at Alex Box Stadium, I think is really troubling. So LSU's offense, I think, has a bigger question mark to figure out because for the bullpen, we've known. It's been hit or miss. It's helter-skelter. You've got Paul Skeens, Ty Floyd, and then everybody else. We'll see what happens. So I I think that's really the thing for LSU. For Arkansas, the crazy thing about all this is, Shaz, is that look at their starting rotation right now. 
it's missing two guys that were in the starting rotation at the start of the year or before the start of the year, if you include Jackson Wiggins, because he and Will McIntyre were supposed to be the two dudes for Arkansas, and now it's Hagen Smith and Hunter Holland really carrying the load. Holland, of course, just superb in that finale for Arkansas in that complete game effort, but I mean, that's the wild thing to me is that Arkansas, yes, has dealt with so many injuries, starting with Jackson Wiggins, missing the entire year, second straight year that Arkansas's ace is out in the preseason due to Tommy John surgery. But Dave Van Horn just continues to plug away and show trust in his guys that they will continue to get the job done, and they have, and that's the difference right now between Arkansas, who has the best record in the SEC, and LSU, who's now dropped to their lowest ranking of the season. And how about Auburn? You, you mentioned the Tigers. Uh, they're a leading item in three up from this past week, a, a team that we've talked about at length a couple of times here recently just because of the run that Butch Thompson's club has, has been able to make. You know, as a team, as you said, with Tommy Velgan inserted, you know, as a primary uh primary tool in that rotation, uh, it's been a different team. They've flipped the script, but more than anything, it's – they're finding out, but it's the offense that is just, you know, bludgeoning opponents. It was LSU two weeks ago, and now it's Ole Miss, though, 24 to 6 in the doubleheader sweep on Friday, and then a 20 hit effort. Uh, solid defense. Again, uh, getting the pitching necessary to beat Ole Miss 13 to 5, deliver the Rebels the death nail. Again, eliminating their chances at an SEC tournament run as they will not be in Hoover next week. But uh, the Auburn Tigers, again, just. Coming out of nowhere, seemingly, uh, to be at this point in the season with a record of 30-19-1, and 14-13 in SEC play. You know, as long as they're not swept uh, this weekend, you've, you've got to love uh, the Tigers' chances at, at being one of those at-large teams that's going to get in. They've got Missouri. It's a very important series. Probably the most intriguing one, I think, this weekend because, you know, the Tigers control their own destiny, if you will, their faith, their outcome, uh, they just can't fall on their face. And Mississippi State is going to have Texas A&M at home. So those are the two series, I think, to watch uh, more than any in terms of determining uh, the field for for Hoover next week. Yeah, no doubt about it. And the thing about it is with Auburn and Missouri, Auburn is fighting to be a host right? Like their RPI is now up to 20 after getting their first series win in Oxford since 2012. Missouri, while they have a two-game lead over Mississippi State, is still fighting to lock up that last spot in Hoover. And Mississippi State has A&M, who, you know, Alabama really brought them down to earth in the last two games. They outscored the Aggies 23-1 to in the final two games to take that series in College Station. So A&M got embarrassed a little bit by the Alabama Crimson Tide. And uh, for Mississippi State, that might be a bad thing because A&M might just be ready to throw everything out on the table and, and you know run ruckshot over the Bulldogs, who still don't have that great of a pitching staff, and they don't have a pitching coach because they fired Scott Foxhall. But back to Auburn for a second. You mentioned the offense. And... Yeah, the offense is a great thing, but when you when you think about Butch Thompson, it's always said that he preaches three important things in a series. Producing the biggest inning, having the most base runners, and passing out the fewest freebies. If you do that in a game, you're going to win the game. Well, here's what Auburn did in SEC play this past week. They led the league in average and hits. They were second in runs scored third in ERA, and they allowed a league-low four walks. So there's your passing at the fewest freebies. They produced the biggest inning twice in the doubleheader sweep of Ole Miss on Friday, and they had the most base runners 
on Friday in that doubleheader sweep of Ole Miss as they outscored them 37-11 to and scored their most hits in an SEC series with 50 since 1997. So they checkmarked all three of those things throughout this weekend in Oxford, and that's why Auburn got the big sweep, but that's why Auburn's RPI is now you know, moving them into hosting contention as they're at 20. And like you mentioned, they canceled their midweek game with Jackson State. That's obviously an RPI cancellation at 175, but Auburn is now focused on getting into that top 16 grouping as they've won four straight SEC series, and their pitching has you know, gone from being a problem to being a really, really solid piece of their of their uh, their puzzle because you've got Tommy Vale, who has an ERA of 1.31 in the last four weekends, and Christian Herberholtz, who has an ERA of 2 in the last four weekends. So those two have been the absolute right buttons to punch for Butch Thompson, and the offense is taking care of business on the other side. So the Tigers are just as dangerous as anybody, you know, include them with the likes of Arkansas and Florida in the hottest teams in the SEC going into Hoover. Missouri and Georgia are probably the teams in the SEC that most need to win two games as as well in Hoover, assuming the Tigers can punch their ticket to the SEC tournament. Each of those teams are sitting at 10-17. and 17. Uh, We know Mississippi State's not going to be in this tournament. Ole Miss is not going to be. Uh, Texas A&M and Alabama are each sitting at 12-13 and 13 wins. So what I'm getting at, it, those, four, those four teams, Missouri, Georgia, Texas A&M, and Alabama, uh, have work to do to at least cement uh, their NCAA tournament hopes. I think everybody, and Auburn as well, and, and I think canceling, you know, as much as we don't like it, canceling the midweek for them is the most obvious kind of no-brainer-like play because they can't afford uh, to take a hit if they were to lose that game previously scheduled against Jacksonville State on Tuesday. Uh, but those four teams are the ones uh, to really keep an eye on here over the next week to two weeks and, and what they do in Hoover in determining how how many teams out of the SEC are going to be represented in the field of 64? Of course, Selection Monday is coming up on May 29th. After all, the dust settles across the conference tournaments all across the country. And, you know, some of those some of those other leagues that we talked about last week on, like the CAA, they had, they had a bad weekend. So if you're SEC bubble teams like A&M, like Bama, less of a bubble team than a Missouri or a Georgia, but still, those four, you love to see it because you want leagues like the CAA to only get one team in. And uh, with Northeastern dropping a series this past weekend, the question becomes, if they don't win the CAA tournament, are they going to be awarded with an at-large bid uh, being a mid-major team that they are? So Yeah, Northeastern um, lost 2-3 or three to William & Mary. UNCW lost 2-3 or three to College of Charleston. So the CAA is teetering on being a one-bid or two-bid league. Also, the Big West had a really bad weekend. Shaz, Cal State Fullerton, 0-4. Back-to-back, back-to-back series loss for the Titans now. Yeah, 0-4. USCSB lost to your boy Rocco Pepe and uh, Long Beach State, 2 out of 3. UC Irvine lost 2 of 3 to Cal State Northridge. The Big West now trending towards being a one-bid league. These teams need to you know, hold status quo over the last weekend of the regular season, or, yeah, that opens up more bids, and potentially we could have a, a conference record 11 teams from the SEC, potentially if, if some of these other teams don't hold serve over the final weekend of the regular season. And remember, they need to take care of business in their conference tournament as well. Um, and if you're a CAA, Conference USA, whatever, you want your secondary team to win the tournament because then your primary team who won the regular season is going to get an at-large bid. 
I got a question for you on these cancellations. Why is Ole Miss canceling with Austin P? You're not going to Hoover. You're not a postseason team. How about you empty the bench and get everybody out there that has had little to zero playing time and get the reps? Like, I think that's poor form from Mike Bianco to cancel the game with Austin P, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I don't really understand that one. I mean, maybe. Are you just. You're just so like frustrated and, and just miserable over the way this season has gone that you're just throwing in the towel and not I, even good. Especially for a team uh, like Austin P, you got a chance to come to Swayze Field. Again, you're not doing them any favors, but take Austin P and the Governors out of the equation. Like for Ole Miss, you've got to have guys on that team to see maybe what you have for next year. Like let them compete and go out there. Have them, treat it like a B game. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not sure they're throwing in the towel it might just be an injury thing I mean maybe they just don't have enough people left I mean Ole Miss has been battered with injuries as have a lot of teams across the country but you know namely Hunter Elliott has basically been unavailable the entire season the the ace for this Ole Miss Rebel staff and, and maybe it's just one of those things where hey look we're not trying to get any more guys hurt uh this game is totally meaningless and you know, it, it made no sense to play it. I, I agree on the surface. It's a little suspicious, but we don't know all the behind the scenes going on with Ole Miss. Uh, they could have bigger injury woes than we know. There could be other circumstances around this cancellation. It's certainly not an RPI cancellation because, like you said, Ole Miss's season will be done on Saturday and Austin P ain't going anywhere. So, it, you know, it's a little quizzical for sure. Yeah, according to the release from, from Ole Miss, it was a, a mutual uh cancellation so both teams did agree to go ahead and you know axe the game and I think it's probably like you said it's probably just bodies and and just health of the team more than anything especially with one regular season weekend still remaining weekend 14 coming up uh and West Virginia Con is going to have a chance to secure the program's first ever Big 12 regular season title. It's the Randy Mazie magic. You drop game one against the Red Raiders. What do you do? You come back win two in a row emphatically big weekend for West Virginia uh, just again, larger scope, and, and you can reflect uh, before we finish up with three up and three down. Uh, back to the ACC, Florida State, their 44-year postseason win streak will come to an end um, of making the postseason. Clemson, as I indicated off the top, making the biggest jump. They've won eight in a row now, six consecutive series streak. Uh, series sweep. Uh, each of those head coaches we've talked to in 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 Maisie and in Backage. Uh, Duke dropped a bad one to Georgia Tech, two out of three at home. They folded number sixteen in the top twenty five this week. Uh, we'll talk more about the Pac twelve in a minute, but Southern Miss thirteen in a row in the Sun Belt, and then the Conference USA Dallas Baptist winning in their first year of eligibility in CUSA since making the jump. Uh, They're your regular season conference champions after they swept a huge series at home over UTSA. Uh, With Auburn, Dallas Baptist uh, certainly deserving some praise. Uh, Part of our three up here as we put a bow on weekend number 13. Auburn, Dallas Baptist, and Conlis through Oregon State in there after they secured a huge weekend series win uh, out of the Pac-12, as did Washington. Yeah, they certainly did. Both those teams taking big jumps. Washington sweeping Oregon. I mean, Oregon has just gone into a tumble without their ace, Jay Stofall. They're 1-5 since his absence uh, as they were outscored by Washington, 43-18. to And Oregon State has gotten red hot. The Beavers have won their last three Pac-12 series versus Arizona, Utah, and UCLA. Staying with Oregon State, though, for a second, what are we doing? They're finishing the season against Western Carolina this weekend. <laughs> 
Western Carolina's going all the way out to Corvallis? Yep. Wow. <laughs> That's their final weekend of the regular season. They're done with the Pac-12. They finish at 18-12 and 12 in Pac-12 play. They're currently in third. They probably won't advance much, though, because Stanford has Washington State. Washington gets Cal, two of the bottom four teams in the conference. So Stanford and Washington will probably hold serve, and that'll leave Oregon State in third place. Uh, they're still in good position, right? They've won their last three Pac-12 series, but, I mean, the unbalanced schedule in the Pac-12 strikes again. Yes, it does. Who does Stanford have this weekend? Uh, Washington State. Okay. Gosh. And how many teams, remind me, do you recall off the top? I know we just had the Pac-12 tournament is new. Is it? Is it four? Is it eight? It's nine. So, it's nine? So okay. it was eight teams last year. It is now nine, and they're going to the dreaded pool play. Oh, no. Yes. Pool play. So they're play. doing nine teams? In, nine in, teams. Of three pools? Mm-hmm. Three pools of three. Oh, my gosh. And then what do you do because it's only three pools? Like, that's an odd number. Whereas it's four pools, you know, the ACC, and I don't understand how you come out of that with three pool winners, I, and then what? They're all going to play each other? I don't know. I, <laughs> like, what are we doing? Oh, my gosh. I, it's, it's, I mean, I, am I right? Am I pointing out a, a deficiency here in, in the system? I, I don't know enough, but, like, please, get at us. At CS Now Tweets, at yeah. Kyle Shass, at SportsCon4. <laughs> I have no idea what the Pac-12 is doing, but three pools, I—, I I mean, it's got to be round robin after that between the three winners. I, I'm going to look this up because I'm I'm now just – I don't know. A Pac-12 baseball tournament 2023, I'm about to Google this live on the show and see if I can figure out, you know, what in the heck is going on. Okay, I remember you... them saying they're going to pool play. But, but here's the thing. You mentioned Dallas Baptist, and I think that's something that we need to focus on a little bit because that was a series that we highlighted a month ago. And Dan, said, Heef, Dan Heefner, 600 career wins now for him after yeah, this we, weekend. We said, we said Dallas Baptist and UTSA will decide who wins Conference USA. Well, lo and behold, guess what? It did. So, I mean, you, you, you have been a huge stan for the Dallas Baptist Patriots over the last two seasons. So, uh, j- just, just give me a little more on, on how, you know, uh, I, I guess this is a, kind of a, uh, fulfilling the prophecy for you, right? Because you have just raved about DBU over the last couple of seasons, and they got it done in their first year. They could get it done. Well, it's proof of concept, too. A team that was as strong as they were, you know, in their in their previous league, to be able to, to make that jump to Conference USA as the new member on the block. Like, I don't know if... If this has been, it had to have been done previously. And I'm talking about other sports. Like, can you recall where another team makes a step up in weight class in their league and then wins it the following year? Like, that is that is not something that happens normally. So the fact that they can do that kind of tells you everything that you need to know. And for a team that had been swept by Southern Miss earlier this year, too, let's let's not forget they are able to put together a 23-4 and league record in a new league. And I don't know if that's more reflective upon just how bad Conference USA is more than anything. It, it might be. By the way, Con Rice, who's hosting the tournament at Reckling Park, is on the verge of missing out oh, on no. their own tournament. Oh, no. Yes. This very well could happen. I actually oh. debated leading the show with this as uh, what I'm most interested in <laughs> this week. Rice may miss the tournament. Let me pull up my text with uh, David Crane, the voice of the Blazers. This is what he outlined to me uh, just yesterday. So Rice, 
who is at, and I'll get back to DBU. Just bear with me. Rice is 7-20 and in the league, tied for dead last with FIU and UAB. All three of those teams are 7-20. and Now, Rice has more overall wins at 20-31, and but according to DC, with 11 straight losses in league play, okay, Rice is still on the verge of missing their own tournament. Uh, they do have the tiebreaker over UAB, but they play FIU at home this weekend. So the team who they're in a three-way tie with for dead last, they have at home this weekend. Rice hosting FIU at Reckling Park, where the site of the Conference USA tournament the following week is. All Rice has to do is win two out of three against FIU, and they'll be in their own tournament the following week. However... This is Conference USA we're talking about. This is the Rice Owls who have lost 11 straight in CUSA play. They're hosting their league's tournament, and they might not even be a player if they drop two out of three to FIU this weekend. I mean, just just incredible stuff, incredible drama. As for DBU, you know, they're the team standing on top. And yeah, this is a proof of concept type thing, kind of a, a not the Lifetime Achievement Award uh, that, you know, one might be, one might be, you know, be inspired to, to claim with DBU in terms of their pedigree and, and one of the better teams to have not made Omaha, them at ECU. But again, to do it in a new league, I just think that is that is so unique. And a UTSA team that was nationally ranked, they were 22 this past weekend, uh, to score 31 combined runs across those three games against a team of the caliber of UTSA. Like, I think that's all that's all you need to know. Very impressed with DBU. And what they're doing both on the mound uh, and certainly at the plate as well. A 349 hitter is Cody Colden. He's he's the table setter, but they got three all hitting above 300. And then when you look at what they're doing pitching wise, an ERA of 4.42, you know, it's not terrible. Certainly not in the same conversation of, of Wake Forest is leading the country, but who is? Uh, but they've got guys all up and down uh, this lineup. And, you know, it's 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 shown. Yeah, it certainly has, and you've given me plenty of time to familiarize myself with the new Pac-12 baseball Good, because I was trying to filibuster for you <laughs> so you can enlighten us on what the hell is going on in Tempe or Tucson or Scottsdale. You know, spring spring training park yeah, you know, yes. in Scottsdale, wherever Scottsdale Stadium is where it will be. So, okay, so it is three pools of three. It is the one seed, the six seed, and the nine seed, then the two, five, and eight, and then the three, four, and seven. So three pools of three. The three pool winners advance – to the semifinals along with one wild card team, which will be the best record of the non-advancing teams. Any tiebreaker is awarded to the highest seeded team. So there's four teams advancing out of pool play. The semifinal matchups, obviously the highest seed against the lowest seed, second highest for second lowest. However, teams from the same pool will not play each other in the semifinals. So if that wild card comes from pool A and it's the lowest seed and the and the number one seed in Pool A advances, they cannot play each other in the semifinals. So a whole lot of different stipulations here uh, oh my as we go through year two of the Pac-12 baseball tournament. But Wait, I mean, so this is the what? I mean, did they come up with this on a cocktail napkin <laughs> in Vegas at 4 a.m.? No, no, no. Are that's... you kidding me? <laughs> 
No, yeah, let, let me regurgitate. Let me repeat, just just so I fully understand. I'm going to pull up the standings and come up with some hypotheticals because this is this is tremendous. Okay, so you've got nine teams. Yep. I understand this. I'm not going to try and repeat the seating, but I but I get it. The spacing. Yep. So you're yep. going to have three pool winners. Yep. That are going to come out. Yep. Let's let's say Stanford doesn't win their pool. Okay. They would have the best record though, right? So What's they would best autom- record in the pool. Oh, in the pool. Yes. Okay. So, so you're discounting. I thought it was like some protective measure to make no, no, sure. No, 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 no. You know, one of their. Okay. No, it's the best record of the teams remaining in the pool. Like of of the teams that didn't advance, not the three, the 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 six non-winners. Whoever has the best record of the non-advancing teams. But couldn't you? Couldn't you? Couldn't all of those teams, or you know, two or three of them, be two and be? Yes, and any tiebreaker is awarded to the highest seeded team. Okay. So Stanford would have the tiebreaker as the number one seed. That's where your regular season record gets you a tiebreaker. Okay. Wow. Talk about backdooring your way into the Pac-12 semis. (laughs) My goodness. Holy smokes. Oh goodness. That is that is spectacular. I'm glad. uh, I'm glad we. Dug deep into that, discovered had this that madness that's going to go on in Scottsdale, and what? and here's the here's the craziness of all this thing. You know that tournament's still going to be done by Saturday, so it won't be affected by the 16 regional sites getting announced on Sunday before tournaments like the Big 12 and the ACC get done. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's Just, incredible. It's amazing. Uh, speaking of the Big 12, I, I do want to touch on West Virginia a little bit, and then we have a lot to talk about in the ACC, but let's get through the Big 12 first. So West Virginia, you mentioned it. They lost game one to Texas Tech. They they really got stymied offensively. And then, oh boy, the offense erupted. 22-5, to they outscored the Red Raiders in the final two games of the series to uh, take care of Texas Tech. Their magic number is now 2 to secure their first ever Big 12 regular season title. Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and Texas, theoretically, are still in line for the Big 12 regular season title, but West Virginia controls their own destiny. Shaz, Blaine Traxel was the guy we were worried about as the number two starter for West Virginia when they entered Big 12 play because things got a bit rocky for Mr. Complete Game. However, his last three starts at Baylor versus Oklahoma versus Texas Tech, I think he's really settled in. He's thrown at minimum seven innings. He went a complete game against Baylor, seven innings against Oklahoma, eight innings uh, against Texas Tech in his last time out. He's got 15 strikeouts over his last 24 innings and a 2.63 ERA. Now, granted, home runs, big issue for him. He's allowed 14. It leads the pitching staff by a wide margin, but Traxel's been able to go deeper in games, which saves that bullpen for Sunday when Randy Mazie may need a little bit more if Robbie Porco isn't at his best. And, I mean, talk about that bullpen, namely with their closer, Carlson Reed, who came to West Virginia as a starter and was mainly a midweek guy. Now he's been in the back half of that bullpen. He throws just straight gas. He can hit triple digits, and he's been phenomenal in the back end of that bullpen. West Virginia's really figured things out. And, of course, you know, I got to talk about J.J. Weatherholt because the dude still leads the D1 batting title race, a 466 average. If he finishes above 450, he'll be the first Power 5 player to finish over that mark since Buster Posey for FSU in 2008. Wow. Incredible. That's uh, that's some real deal stuff. 466 ahead of FAU's Nolan Chennault. 
who now is ahead of Dylan Cruz. Cruz average dip to 445, but 466 is what I got on J.J. Weatherholt. That is... Uh, that is spectacular. He homered on Sunday in the come-from-behind win. Sure did. Uh, over Texas Tech. So uh, having to come from, you know, winning in, in a multitude of different ways, you know, is 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 the makeup of a great team who can certainly, you know, do it in, in a variety of different ways. That shows, you know, the fortitude that it takes to make a deep run because, you know, you're going to find yourself in situations that, that you've been in during the regular season. You're going to know how to overcome them. Uh, you're going to be able to win, you know, by large margins and keep your foot on the gas, much like they did on Saturday. But you're also going to be able uh, to go down and, and understand how to come from behind like they did on Sunday. So you lose a tight one on Friday night, but you come back, you win two in a row with a vengeance. Uh, statement win at Mon County Ballpark uh, to do it at home in front of those fans, too. We talked with Randy. Andy Macy about it last week. Just excellent stuff. And and now ranked, uh, what is it, number six, right, John? Yep, six, six nationally by D1Baseball.com. Just incredible uh, for Randy Macy and this ball club. And still with work to do, a chance uh, to get the Big 12 regular season title for the first time in school history when they go on the road to Texas uh, this week. So, uh, really cool stuff for West Virginia, and that and that Big Twelve tournament con. That's is that played at the home of the Texas Rangers? It is, is that where Globe they moved Life it to? Field in Arlington, yeah. which is great because no weather problems. Close that dome, baby. That's it. No weather issues. It's my come favorite. on. What's what's it's, a tournament without weather issues? Though? It's come my on. favorite tournament because there's no weather problems. The <laughs> dome is closed. I don't have to worry about sending textcaster uh, alerts. Thank God. I mean, just God bless Globe Life Field. Honestly. God bless it. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence. Uh, you want to talk ACC? Uh, yeah, and, we, and, and we Duke because because they um, they took one on the chin, dropping two out of three. Uh, I highlighted that. Earlier in the pod, but dropping two out of three to a Georgia Tech team that doesn't have any sort of postseason aspirations. They're going to have to make a run in Durham to be able to make it into the field of 64. Uh, Georgia Tech winning 8-5 in game one. A, a late rally from the Blue Devils fell short to Alex Gow. taking the ball for Duke. Uh, took the loss. He's now 3-3 three and three on the year. But then uh, Duke able to win 6-5 in game two before losing eight five in game three. So these are all, you know, pretty snug for the most part. But, you know, Georgia Tech getting out to a four nothing lead in the first inning on Friday really springboarded them. And uh, you know, the the Blue Devils something that they had steered clear of, you know, for most of the season. You know, uh, winning every series that you know they're supposed to, or that they know they would need for for their own resume, and not losing games that they shouldn't. And it came back to to beat them in the penultimate week weekend of the year. So t- tough for Duke, certainly trending. Um, you know, I, I'm not out on Duke after one weekend for no, sure, no, no, but no, no. but this, but this is a knock uh, on them as they drop to 16. And you know now they're now they're a fringe host team. You know we've we've talked about it for a month about how are they going to be a regional host, what they would have to do to retrofit the Coombs, um, Jack Coombsfield over there on campus because the Durham Bulls are in town the week of regional weekend, so they can't use the DBAP. But you know now that is hanging in the balance as they have a trip to Miami coming up this week. Yeah, the the biggest problem for Duke is that they were slated to be a top eight national seed and really control their destiny in the postseason. And then they fell flat on their face against Georgia Tech at home, which is where the ACC tournament is going to be next week. So Duke has the advantage there. But 
Yeah, like you mentioned, the Duke Blue Devils have been the model of consistency in terms of winning series. They hadn't lost a series since that trip to Chapel Hill just down the road in late March. March 23rd to 25th that was, was the last yeah, time they lost That was the same same weekend that I was in Fayetteville. You're absolutely right. Right. Yeah, so, so that was a thing. And, and we've been surprised by how Duke has been able to do this because their starting pitching has been just so fluid, and, and that was the problem this weekend. You mentioned Alex Gow, but no starting pitcher went longer than three and a third for Duke. And, and as good as their bullpen pieces are, we mentioned them with Chris Edwards when we had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that's a lot, a lot to put on your bullpen. It's so taxing, especially when they've been doing it every series, weekend in, weekend out. They played two midweeks this past week, remember, against Ryder, and they lost one of those. So that was a huge issue. The other issue is that they stranded 20 runners on base in their two losses combined. That's a problem. And for for Duke offensively, if you're going to have pitchers that can't get past the fourth inning, you have to convert when runners are on base. And leaving 20, it was 11 in one of the losses, 9 in the other one. 20 runners on base over two games where you lose to Georgia Tech, you can't have that. They fell three spots in the RPI uh, to 12, so still still solid. 11-7 and seven against teams with an RPI of 1-25. to 1-50, to 50, uh, they're 15-10. and 10. They've got three losses, uh, three quad let's say RPI 100 to 200 that certainly aren't good but uh you know <laughs> say Duke that right again. there yeah Duke right there at number 12 a trip to Miami on the horizon Canes check in as the number 11 team in the nation so it'll be a 16-11 matchup uh, in Coral Gables uh here this weekend the last team I I, I did want to you know bring up and I, and I do so uh hesitantly because they have not even come close to, to holding a candle to the season that they were able to put together a year ago. Georgia Southern, who was one of 16 teams to host last year, Georgia Southern, for the first time, gets swept on the road by their rival Georgia State this past weekend. Mm. And a team, again, that was the number 16, yep. right? Was it the number 16 regional host, regional seed, a year ago, that was the regional, the Statesboro regional that Notre Dame came out of, and then they had to go to Knoxville, and they were able to win two out of three over the Volunteers of Tennessee, and Notre Dame punched their ticket to Omaha, but it was the Statesboro regional last year, and Georgia Southern, let me just, for, for context, I'm going to give you the Georgia Southern schedule, or uh, their record from a year ago, 41-20, and 23-7 and in league play, 41-20, and 23-7 and in league play. This season, Georgia Southern, 24 and 27, 14 and 13 in conference play. What a fall from a year ago. Uh, you hate to see it if you're an Eagles fan. They do, at least to their credit, before this four game losing streak, there was a game as I was looking at their schedule uh, earlier. I brought this up to you earlier in the day. April 29th, I don't know how this slipped past us, but as part of a three game sweep of Louisiana Monroe, uh, they won the middle game on April 29th. So this is the one, you know, saving grace for the Eagles, if you will, as we, you know, throw dirt on them. Uh, 35 to 8. What's the score? <laughs> oh, no. Back on April 29th. That reminds 35 me of, to 8. That reminds me of what Indiana did this weekend to Purdue in their series opener. They hit eight home runs and won 26 to 11 over Purdue in the series opener this past weekend. God. <laughs> now, really? Shas, on that Georgia Southern schedule, scroll all the way up to the top and look at their season opening series, who they beat 
in two out of three. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. West Virginia. That's right. Second straight year, West Virginia has opened the season at Georgia Southern, and they lost two out of three. Oh, my, how the turntables. No, last year last year was Georgia Southern Tennessee. Who did West Virginia open up with? Oh, it might have been Georgia year? State. Yeah, it might have been Georgia. You're right. It was yeah. Georgia State. Sorry. Okay. They, they always opened down south somewhere, and it was Georgia right. State and Georgia Southern. But, yeah, Georgia Southern opened the year winning two of three against a potential top eight national seed in West Virginia. Incredible. Yeah. Wild. Incredible. Anything else to add from the weekend, uh, midweek-wise? I mean, again, these are uh, so many of these are probably going to be wiped out before we even get to Tuesday night. Right, uh, a couple already sad. have, and yeah. yeah, a couple already have in the SEC. But number one, Wake Forest is at UNCW. Number eight, Coastal Carolina against UNC. Impressive for the Tar Heels this past weekend, Woo! sweeping in-state rival NC State in the Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, and then number fourteen, Campbell. At number 15, ECU. So uh, we'll keep our eyes on that in the midweek, but anything else stand out from weekend 13 and what's to come? So a couple things in the ACC. Uh, You mentioned the UNC-NC State series. We've been talking about how NC State's getting ready to get snubbed again by the committee. NC State's doing its own snubbing right now. I mean, that was a free fall of a series for them. They are now 10-16, and I believe, in the ACC that is not a recipe for making the field of 64 if you're the Wolfpack. So they're going to have to make some noise in Durham. They're probably going to have to win the tournament to to get in this year. Uh, so, you know, we're NC State fans who are, you know, feeling a little bumped and bruised by the NCAA the last couple of years, yeah, you did it to yourselves this year. Uh, unfortunate loss for, for the Wolfpack. Uh, I do want to give a little bit of trivia because I found this very interesting when I was doing some research on both Wake Forest and Florida State. So you mentioned Wake Forest wins their first ACC regular season title since 1963. couple of facts about the year 1963. That was the year Jack Nicholas won his very first Masters tournament. Also, it was the year Michael Jordan was born. That's how long it's been since Wake Forest won an ACC regular season title. I hadn't made that connection. Uh, 1963 is also the year my father was born, eight days ahead of one Michael Jordan. Eight wow. days ahead. Not February 17th, but February 9th for the hot Carl. Oh. That tip to you, my friend. Carl Schass, yes. the goat. Sick, the goat. The hot Carl, as we call him. Yes. Um, yeah, 19, that's wild. 55, right? Was their national championship? 55 is when they went to Omaha, yes. Uh, yeah. And FSU, you mentioned 44-year postseason streak is over. So the last time they missed the postseason, that would be 1977. In that year... This is wild to me, some of the stuff I found out. Star Wars was just getting released in theaters in 1977. Think about all the Star Wars movies and, you know, series and stuff on Disney Plus that is out since then. The Toronto Blue Jays and Seattle Mariners were playing their first ever games as franchises in 1977. Goodness. Elvis Presley passed away in 1977, and Bill Walton was the NBA Finals MVP in 1977. Bill Walton. <laughs> it, yeah, second second time Bill Walton has been mentioned on this podcast in recent weeks because we talked about the uh, ESPN 30 for 30 retrospective on Bill Walton that's coming out soon. 
uh, during the NBA Finals, of all things. But yeah, I just I wanted to look up because it's been so long since both of these events have occurred, and yet they happened in the same year. I was like, what happened in those two years that would be eye-popping? And those are the things I came up with. Dude, I'm always up for good trivia, man. Good on you, uh, because now I am also diving into the Google machine and, <laughs> and seeing some of the same factoids that you came up with. So I appreciate that. Also, uh, uh, let's see, Pele's final match oh, in the wow. United States. That was in 77. Saturday Night Fever debuts good one how about that uh let's see that's about all i got i i will say so we highlighted oh, alaskan oil pipeline was completed oh, in geez. 1970s okay that's a big one um <laughs> we 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 did highlight the premier sec series to watch this week i want to highlight the premier acc series because it's in our own backyard in winston-salem it's virginia tech coming to deke town to take on the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Now, Wake Forest has already locked up the number one seed, but they want to be the number one team going into the ACC tournament. However, for Virginia Tech, they just got swept by Clemson in Blacksburg. The Hokies are teetering on not making the postseason. They were first five. They were the, the first five out last week, according to D1 Baseball. They need to take two of three from, D, from the Demon Deacons no in question. Winston-Salem. And probably perform decently well if they take two of three in Durham next week as well in the ACC tournament to get back to the field. And this is a team that was a win away from Omaha last year. They went they went the full bore with Oklahoma before the Sooners won game three and, and advanced to the College World Series. But Virginia Tech was a game away from going to the College World Series. And now they might not even make the field. Wild. Virginia Tech swept by Clemson this past weekend. And, you know, those scores, 15-4, 9-6, 9-8. I mean, the first one was uh, not even close. But, yeah, the Tigers getting another sweep in ACC play. And, and I would think that, yeah, Virginia Tech sweeping Wake Forest. I mean, look, crazy things have happened. If that happens, they, that would put them back in the field for sure. I, I think so. I think so. But if I, I think... I think your assessment is correct in saying that they must win two out of three and then, you know, look like they have a pulse in Durham. Yeah, for you sure. can't go 0-2. You have, to, you have to at least win a game in Durham. And then if you – I think if they win a game in Durham and two of three, then they're on the bubble. But if they don't do either of those things, they're done. Another one uh, that was a killer from the weekend, we talked about the smaller conferences. How about Texas State? It was one of those teams oh. that was, you know, roped into, yep. could the, could the Sunbelt get four teams in? Well, Texas State lost all three at Louisiana this past weekend. So something that certainly allows teams from the ACC and the SEC uh, to perk up as, as their antennas, you know, go straight up. Uh, they become erect uh, seeing a team like Texas State <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> drop three against Louisiana. And, uh, you know, we'll leave, we'll leave it at that. So Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah. Anything uh anything else? Or can we get to our dudes hat tips and, and try to get the heck out of here? Let's do uh dudes and hat tips and then I, I, I thought you wanted to talk some uh some pasta. Um but oh, I uh, do have a que- I do have a question for you, yes. Oh let, okay. Let's, okay. All right, let's let's go to the dudes. All right, my dude is Hunter Holland. We've we've talked about it a little bit already, but Hunter Holland, complete game, second complete game for Arkansas this past weekend. It came in a pivotal game. It was the rubber match on Sunday against South Carolina. Holland at one point retired 19 consecutive Gamecocks. Good Lord. Uh, the dude shoved. He he allowed five hits, just the one run, struck out, a career-high 10, and one walk, a complete game for Hunter Holland. 
and Arkansas as the Razorbacks pick up another series win. Just two SEC losses at home all year. So that would be, what, 13 and 13 and 2 is what Arkansas went in SEC play at Baumwalker Stadium this year. They've got Vanderbilt coming up this weekend, but a 5-1 win in the rubber game on Sunday, thanks largely in part uh, to Hunter Holland. So uh, he is my dude of the week. You're standing in the SEC as well. I, I am, and, and I'm going to go to Texas A&M, although they did lose 2-3 of three to Alabama, who's now 5-2 and two since the dismissal of Brad Bohannon. I'm going to go to the Aggies. Uh, it is not to Brett Minnick, although he is certainly dude-worthy after returning to the lineup after missing just two weeks for separating his shoulder. Just two weeks, and he's back in the lineup as a DH, and what does he do in his first at-bat? Hits a home run. So, you know, a, a, a mini hat tip to Brett Minnick right there for coming back and just, you know, serving one up right away to show that he's back and ready to roll. It's going to be to a guy who hit not one, not two, but three homers in that opener against Bama. Trevor Werner, one of our favorites from Hoover last year, first time since 1999 a player has hit three home runs in a game for Texas A&M. Trevor Werner is my dude of the week, and he is going to put up some firepower in Hoover like he did last year. You heard it here first. I love it. I, I love the uh, Warner connection for sure. That's it, It's hard to go wrong there. I actually had that in, in my notes from the weekend as I pull up my phone to make sure I empty the notebook. Trevor Warner, three home runs for Texas A&M in that game one. Um in that game one victory, eleven to five. But again, Alabama, as you said, just you know, running rough shot over the Aggies the rest oh of the God. weekend on the road in a game Sunday that didn't start until seven p.m. local time in College Station because of all the rain early on. A Sunday night start at seven o'clock, uh, but twelve one the middle game win in seven innings for Alabama on Saturday and a nooner, and then eleven nothing at seven o'clock on Sunday. So two run 20, rules, twenty three to one was the final. Final tally, 23-1 to over those final two games for Alabama. As um, Yeah, just impressive what, what they've done post-Brad Bohannon here in consecutive weekends. Uh, the series victory over Vanderbilt, uh, the midweek win over Troy, which can't be discounted, and then winning two out of three at Texas A&M. They'll be at home against Ole Miss this weekend. Again, all these series taking place Thursday, Friday, Saturday as we ready for conference tournament week. Coming up next week, uh, one other guy that that I would have uh, that I did consider giving my dude award to was Ross Lovich of Mizzou. Did you see what Ross Ooh. did? He had, he had a cycle in seven innings. Wow! In seven innings I on, did not on see Friday, this. yes, took just seven innings. My man had a cycle in his final at bat. He was able to get uh, I forget now off off the top. I think it was the home run. It might have been the triple. Uh, but Ross Lovich did hit for the cycle for the Mizzou Tigers, who got a big time sweep. Uh, this past weekend as they, again, control their own outcome here uh, this weekend as they'll try to leave no doubt. 10-17 and 17 in SEC play, 30-20 and 20 overall. Uh, Mizzou this weekend on the road at Auburn, a team that is... Uh, as as you said already, Con, you know, plenty to play for as they try to improve upon their resume and making it an NCAA quality one uh, with Hoover in the SEC tournament looming next week. So speaking those... of uh, speaking of Missouri, did you see how Dylan Leach ended Saturday's game? For Missouri, There's another walk off. Yeah, so so they had two walk offs, right? Dylan Leach hit the walk off two run homer on Saturday. Cam Chick two run single on Sunday, but. The amazing thing about Dylan Leach's walk-off homer on Saturday is he started off trying to bunt, fell behind 0-2, and then said, screw it, and hit a jack, and won oh, the game. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> that's awesome. 
Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I wanted to bring that up because you brought up Missouri again, and we, we had uh, yet to mention that yet. So Missouri, walk-off Kings, Ross Lovitz, the cycle, a tremendous weekend for the Tigers who desperately, desperately needed it, and they might have extinguished Georgia baseball's postseason hopes beyond Hoover unless uh, Georgia goes on a deep run, which they did not do last year as they were knocked out by Alabama in on Tuesday uh, in round one, that single elimination round in Hoover that uh, took a little bit to complete because there was like a five-hour rain delay in between uh, the second inning and third inning. Uh, but anyways, we hope that's not the case this year. Well, since we're on the topic of late-game dramatics, how about you paint a picture for how things ended for FSU? The one bright spot for them this weekend as they were able to salvage the final game of the series against Wake Forest on Sunday. That's where you'll go with your hat tip. Yeah, it certainly is. And it's going to a man named Jordan Williams, who... Jordan Williams and Shas, as I, as I talk about this, I want to know what his career is going to be after baseball. So get on. I was already I was already typing it. All in. right, <laughs> he, he just knows where I'm going. So Wake Forest won the first two games that clinched the ACC regular season title. Florida State, though, has had a just awful, awful season in Link Jarrett's first year uh, back in Tallahassee. Uh, well, Jordan Williams got his first career hit in the Sunday finale against Wake Forest, and it ended up being a walk-off against the number one Demon Deacons. First career hit in Dick Hauser Stadium, I should say, for Jordan Williams. It salvaged the series finale. It walked it off as the Seminoles get a win over the number one team in the country. And for a team that is not going to the postseason this year, you you know really revel in the small victories. And for Jordan Williams and for FSU, that's a pretty massive small victory to hold your, tip your cap to as you're one of just a few teams who has actually beaten Wake Forest here in 2023 as I believe that was just loss number ten, number eight, number eight for the Deeks, who are forty-two and eight, twenty and six in the ACC uh, as they close the season at home against uh, Virginia Tech this weekend. But not before they have to go to Wilmington and battle UNCW tomorrow. That game, I would bet a million dollars, will not get canceled because of the fact that UNCW leads the CAA. And that would not hurt Wake's RPI, even if they lost to him. Yeah, that'll be a fun one on Tuesday night for sure. Jordan Williams, I'm going to go with a, how about a web developer or computer programmer? Somebody in like the okay. tech industry. He sure. looks he, he looks smart. Like he's got a mind on him, you know, like, and he's got a good smile. He's happy-go-lucky. He's going to be able to overcome a lot of adversity, a lot a lot of time consumed in front of the screen, um, you know, and his, his smile and his face uh, will not be phased. By by all of the um, the blue lighting that he'll be doing as as he's working with computers. So yeah, it's just, he looked, it's just a cool thing for him because like he, he's a JUCO guy, right? He was at San Jacinto College yeah. last year, uh, and you never know how guys are going to translate from from JUCO to uh, you know Division One, especially the number two conference in the country uh, in the ACC. But I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're happy for the guy. It, it, it's a cool moment to have your first ever career hit at Dick Hauser Stadium and to do it to win it against the number one team in the country. That's something he'll always remember, you know, regardless of how long his career goes before he, he delves into uh, web developing, as you said. Uh, before I ask you about the best pasta noodle out there, here is my uh, and, and this conversation spawned. Uh, it really is derived from my hat tip, and and it is a PSA too for all of you out there. Uh, make sure you take a moment to have some fun, to 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 break bread, to uh, fraternize, to 
take a day away and 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 go spend time with with the people who mean the most to you whether that's family whether that's friends like get away look life can life can be rough life can be extremely difficult at times you know when it comes to mental health uh and taking care of yourself and, and your mind and, and everything else like you know do something for yourself get out have fun make a trip you know spend spend a night somewhere you know con you're coming off of of a trip where you went to go see a buddy this past weekend in miami i was able to take a night go up to a place called lake lure this this past yes. saturday night where it was just one evening but look it, it was awesome you know take that scenic two and a half hour drive towards the Asheville area towards the mountains uh stay the night at a cabin with with 12 others and you know just um uh just spend the time that is necessary to be able to get away from from all of the all of the the stress all of the anxiety that might be caused in in your life or and really you know to hit pause um, on work life and, and just being able to let loose and let your hair down and, and again fraternize, break bread, um, take advantage of those opportunities for real. So that so that is my hat tip this past weekend. Um, and and it, the conversation of best noodle out there spawned from from the time that I was able to spend <laughs> on Saturday night with others. So kind of I, I know you can second at, at least the opportunity you know to get away, not be hard on yourself, have some fun, uh, do do so responsibly and, and safely for sure. And you never know uh, what conversation will come of it. And this past weekend, it was what is the best noodle out there? So Absolutely. Um, I mean, beautifully said. Like I, I totally agree with you. And, and I've been able to take many trips uh, over the, the recent uh, few weeks. I saw my buddy Kyle get married in Dallas. Uh, my friend Tyler had his wedding reception in Florida. Uh, I went to see my my college roommate get married in New Orleans. You know, it was, it was, it was, it's been a great opportunity to go and see people I haven't seen in a while, reconnect, have some fun, and, and yeah, just kind of clear the brain a little bit because we are so bogged down in college sports. Not that it's not great to be bogged down in college sports, but everyone needs a little bit of relief from whatever it is that primarily occupies their mind. And that's been a, a fun opportunity for me to be able to go and do that on consecutive weekends and, and for you to, to go hang out with a, a great group of people, uh, a lot of whom I know. And, and I certainly uh, wish that I can attend a future of these uh, cabin encounters because it sounded like it was a blast. Absolutely was. So I'm going to ask you the question here, then we're going to say goodbye. Okay. Because I'm, I'm, I'm about to put on air, I think, on Amazon Prime. Oh, I got, yes. It, it, it's out there. It's available for Amazon Prime users. Air, I have it. It's there. I have Amazon Prime. Let's go. And, I actually, uh, Amazon Prime came to my apartment a little bit earlier. I got uh, some new undergarments. I'll explain to you off mic. But <laughs> for Hoover, uh, yes, um, <laughs> yes, I am prepared. Okay, he's, best, bringing, he's bringing twenty pairs, folks. Best pasta noodle. This was a heated debate on Saturday night uh, when oh I was my out. God. When I was out with others in Lake Lure. So I'm going to defer to you first, then I'm going to give my option, and then we're going to get the hell out of here. Okay. What is, so, what is David Kahn's best, most favorite go-to pasta noodle? So my favorite pasta noodle is farfalle. What the hell is that? Type in F-A-R-F-A-L-L-E. It's more it's of a It's not shape. even coming up in types of pasta on Google. How do I spell it? F-A-R-F-A-L-L-E. It's not even necessarily a noodle. It's more of a pasta shape, but like there's 44 different types of pasta. I'm pretty sure. So, um, yeah, it, you know, okay, yeah, I see it. So, yeah, so, that, well, that looks that's a bow tie noodle. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, right, so here's yeah, why. Here's why. So, I'm a fan of like the farfalle, the ricchetti, the shell, the fusilli, the rotini, all the ones that have these grooves in it. Because when I make pasta, I'm not just making 
pasta, right? I'm making a sauce. I'm putting cheese in there. I'm putting extra accoutrements. I'm dumping seasoning on it. Like I'm making this thing freaking balls to the wall, amazing pasta. And the thing about all the shapes that I just mentioned is they all have grooves or indentations in them. And that sauce, that cheese will just melt in there and get stuck. And it gives you that extra bit of unctuous flavor when you bite into that, you know, extra air pocket that these pastas have. And that's why I love that noodle because extra stuff gets trapped in there and you get to, you know, enjoy more of it with every bite. So that's why those are my favorite types of noodles. That's awesome. Uh, that that's a great answer, and I know you're a big pasta guy and a pasta maker, and it's it's good to get inside your head when it comes to uh, your pasta noodle of choice. Uh, and there are so many out there that I feel like you know, again, this is a debate that we should all be having more. We we should not try to you know just shut the door on what the best pasta noodle is. We need to embrace debate and and make this uh, a trending topic because I feel like we can all learn so much more about each other based on your favorite <laughs> pasta noodle. No, I, I, I totally I mean, maybe, agree. Maybe no, we, perhaps you but, can learn you can learn so much from so many people on so many different topics. But yes, pasta noodle for sure is one. I, I mean, will say if you're just looking at like pure straight noodle, like like not shape, but like actually like, you know, literal noodle, it's fettuccine all the way. But that's just me. Okay. Well, ones I considered were like angel hair, rotini, even a lasagna. Um I'm trying to let's see. What else? Tortellini, not bad. These are all things that, that I've thought of yep. um, as, as I try to remind myself, looking at pictures of somebody. The best macaroni noodle out there, I, I think, is is the Velveeta shell, which yep, is— totally agree. Uh, and what is that? Orchetti, technically, I, I think it's called. Um, yeah. Something like that. Anyways, there's ravioli. Uh, there, all, there's so many different kinds. We've established that. But there's only one kind that is the absolute best, and— Really, I can go without all pastas except for this one, as long as I had this one in my life, and that is a penne noodle. Give me the tubular pasta penne noodle. And the reason being is because of the slice of heaven, the slice of home that it represents when it comes to baked mascacholi. The most comfortable comfort food of all time, mascacholi for me, which is a Chicago and Midwestern staple. Not just the mascacholi, but the fried chicken and the Italian beef that would be situated and nestled next to it in those metal catering trays, you know, with the burners underneath for every graduation or family reunion or birthday party, anniversary, whatever celebration it is. Uh, even going to venues, you know, to... Um, you know, certain dances or get-togethers at halls or whatever it may be, mascacholi was always a part of the equation. And just, you know, the sauce that, just like any other form of pasta con, you know, the way you cook your sauce, the thickness, the hearty tomato blend uh, that helps to create what mascacholi is, along with the combination of meat, whether it's ground hamburger or some other kind of uh, meatball that is tossed in with the mascacholi. Of course, the garlic, the basil, the red pepper flakes, all of these things blending together to create uh, the most perfect Italian pasta dish that, again, is so representative of Chicago culture when it comes to pasta. Nobody knows what mascacholi is when I talk about it outside of Chicago or Illinois. Nobody has ever been able to understand me, whether it's in North Carolina or Louisiana or elsewhere. They're like, what the hell is Moscacholi? Well, it's a damn shame that you don't know because you haven't lived yet. So get out to Chicago and get you some Moscacholi, I I am looking up Moscacholi right now, and oh my sweet lord, that looks amazing. 
It is so dude that look, and it is good. penne noodles. It is it is penne yep. noodles for sure. Uh, I will say, if we're just looking at like a noodle that is my favorite to kind of scoop up, penne is up there because you can just slide a couple of them on your fork with the little prongs and stuff mm-hmm. them in your mouth. So ease of access, penne certainly at the top for sure. But uh, mascarpone, oh my god, yeah, I've never tried man. this, and I want to with all of my heart and soul. Game recognized game. Trust me. Okay, we'll get some mascarpone. Find some mascarpone in you uh, when when you go out to Chicago later this summer and you catch a Cubs game. Yeah, you know, find I, it, I'm find only there for two days, and, and I need you to like. You're gonna give me like 85 recommendations. I don't know where I'm gonna go. Like it, it's. Oh, well, we'll figure it out. We'll map it out, man. I'll get the right. itinerary for you. Okay. Uh, anything else? Because I've got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I've, Dude, after the gym, man, all the water I drank during my workout, plus I had the shake before, plus I had some BCAAs, a little recovery action. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I need it. I, I need to leave. I no, need to we're, leave we're, we're good. I'm, I'm interested to hear about <laughs> your uh, your undergarment purchases off the air, and then I have one request to ask of you off the air as well, but uh, we're good here. Okay, awesome. He's David Kahn at SportsCon4. I'm at Kyle Shass at CS Now Tweets is how you can connect with us. Cerber, we'll put this together. We'll hit your feed first thing Tuesday morning at L underscore Cerberino. We're back Thursday at 11 o'clock on the Varsity Channel on YouTube. Until then, it's been another edition of College Sports Now. Bye. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.